We'll be reading from the New International Version. Please follow along as the text is presented on the screens above. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Uh, so myth or reality. Last week, I had these um, quotes up here. I'll just read them again. I was stunned. This is by somebody who, knows, who believes it's real. I was stunned by the coldness and lack of eye contact. It's been five years of effort to feel accepted and befriended. Even some churches have the phrase, pray for me, I live in Washington. Okay. <laughs> and then this one, different viewpoint. We don't need those new people. <laughs> we have our lives. It's fine. We like it. And if they don't, that's not our problem. Okay. So both of those say there is a Seattle freeze, but um, we, it is something we need to get, uh, you know, there's some nuances here. I want to, just because it was in the Seattle Times this week, there was an op-ed piece. I don't know if anybody saw it, but it was about the Seattle freeze. And I just, a couple of things I highlighted here. It's from a woman named Phyllis um, Coletta. Expected, uh, ex- if you come to Seattle, expect to be isolated, disconnected, and judged. Enjoy. <laughs> so she's got a little attitude there. Uh, the Seattle freeze is real. I'm grateful for all the dogs that look me in the eye when I walk by. Um, yeah, that's good. And then this one's kind of a zinger, but uh, it's Seattleites love to claim the mantle of the most progressive place on the planet. Well, there is more unacknowledged human suffering here than I've seen any place I've ever lived. So uh, it seems like maybe it could be, could be real. I want to get um, Jason Tosher up here to give me kind of his view on how it's worked out here at PLCC for you. You've been here a couple, like a year. Go ahead yeah. and do your thing here. Hi, I'm Jason um, from here. So this is kind of my perspective that I, I told Pastor Mark that I'd be happy to say, how come I'm here? So I've been coming here for a little over a year and a half. Before that, uh, my family and I were attending Overlake probably close to 20 years. It's a great church. Um, They do a lot of big things. They have big, fun programs. They have music and host events. And and I think they're having a big impact for God. But here's the thing. It's big. Um, It's a big building, and there's a lot of people from all over the region. It's easy to walk down that big hall and not really engage with anyone. You talk about eye contact, make eye contact. Um, my kids were both dedicated there. I taught Sunday school there for a couple of years when they were little. Um, we had a personal tragedy and reached out to the church. And of course, the church responded and hooked us up with a, a life group um, that helped us through that time. But we didn't build the relationships there. Um, it was just easy to not engage. So a couple of years ago, I started looking at local churches in Sammamish specifically to change that dynamic. Um, I figure that up here in the same community, we'll have kids in the same uh, schools, we'll be more likely to run into each other at the store, the groups are smaller in the church, it's, easier, it's more manageable, it's easier to meet people, and it seems like a better way to engage uh, with others as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's why I'm at Pine Lake. Um, 
And this place has been really important to me. Um, right from the start, Pastor Mark uh, grabbed me one of the first times I was here and said, come to Thursday a Mem's Bible study. And God has used that group and those relationships to really support me and inspire me through a pretty tough year in the last year. Um, and I look around and I see a church that is full of people who care and people that have relationships. Um, and I'm really convinced this is where God wants me to be at this time. But I have something else to confess to you. Um, it's really easy to not engage here. Um, it's easy to walk into the small lobby, grab a donut, donut, come into the service, and get out without making any personal contacts. Um, and, you know, I have some relationships here. And, and Curtis chased me down last week. I didn't talk to him at church, and he caught me later that afternoon. So that's good. Uh, but when we first come in here, I think the church does a good job of engaging with new people. Um, there's a, a couple people that I think have that on their heart. Uh, Schumann, I don't know where you are, but you, but you uh, seem to have a heart for engaging with new people. But the longer we stay here um, and, and stop being new, there, there's a danger that we fall into this trap of acquaintances or, or, or familiarity, and we can safely wait for someone else to engage with us, and, and, or, or we can safely sneak out without having to engage. Um, I know some of you, I don't know a lot of you, I'd like to engage with you, and I do sometimes, but it's really easy not to. Um, and I don't think that's what God wants for us. We're supposed to be a family. Uh, whoever was up here earlier saying, hey, we're a family going through a time. And that's true. We should be real brothers and sisters. Real brothers and sisters irritate each other once in a while. Um, but they're there for each other when there's a problem or there's a joy to be celebrated. Um, there's family. You know, We check up on one another, one another once in a while. So we should be a community who know one another. And I don't want to say you guys don't have relationships because uh, and, and, I think this church has a lot of people who have been here a long time. Um, in this church, we have Tuesdays together and Encore. And, of course, everyone should do those things that encourage us to, to get together. That's why people go to those things. We have life groups. Again, for me, life groups is super important to me. And, and it's hard not to engage when you're five people having coffee. Um, so do those things. But I have a different challenge for all of you. And, and it's this. If you see me at the store, say Hi. <laughs> I'll, I'll say hi back, and I might look at you blankly and say, from church, I'll say, great. And next time at church, I'll, I'll recognize you because you caught me at the store and made me feel bad, and it's good. Um, in fact, what I want you to do is I want you to look around here, and the people that you talk to and the people that you see, I want you to look at them. These are your brothers and sisters. And next time you see them in the store, say hi. And, and we do that, and pretty soon we, we're not going to need these. So I encourage you, and there's a freeze. We don't have to. Thanks, man. Thank you. Okay, so last week, I have a confession. Uh, Paul, come on up here. I want to, yeah, come on up. This is my good friend, Paul Wilson. Yeah, you you buddy. So um, I have said this before, and I'm just going to say this one thing, and you get to say one sentence. Okay, that's it. Um, this is my best friend from f- almost 40 years ago. Yeah. And some of them clapped. I don't know. Um, uh, the thing I've said, though, is that the first time I met you, this is my argument for, um, you know, first impressions aren't always the best. And I, I thought he was such a, what do you say, Pat? A loudmouth kind of, anyway. So anyway, I didn't, I didn't fall for you right away. How's that? Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah it took, it's an acquired taste. But uh, 
at any rate, to, to build lifelong friends, you have to, pers- you have to take, it takes effort. There, one, one sentence, there you go. That's, my, that's all I want to say. Um, I can put semicolons into <laughs> sentences and be up here for um, quite a time. Uh, I'll say this, Mark, I, this will be my 39th wedding anniversary, Kathy and I, okay. this year. Yeah, and we knew you before that. And uh, this is my 39th anniversary of being your friend. Which is bigger in your life. Which, 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 which <laughs> always predates my wedding anniversary. Yeah. No, I, um, I just want to say this is a relationship-centered universe. And if you know, uh, Mark and I aren't exactly wired the same. We're not, we're not wired the same. But it's a relationship-centered universe. It's about relationship with God and relationship with people. And it is completely worth giving in to your birthright that you get to love people and you get to have deep relationships. It is completely worth it. It is completely worth giving the moments Am I past one sentence you've, yet? You've got a three-point seven okay. going. No, yeah. but it is completely worth uh, whatever it means to have the fullest relationship with God. And it is completely worth putting in the work. And I'm so grateful for my friendship with you. Okay. I got more to say. I know. I know. I know. As you might guess, Paul is a pastor, and he's also, now he's serving as superintendent to uh, our conference down in, the, in California, Arizona area. So anyway, good to have you with us today, Paul. All right, so the goal here is to warm up and uh, do some thawing and bless the world in that way. And here's our outline this morning. I want to get into it. I'm a little bit behind schedule here. So we're going to look at the text and a little history. Uh, we're going to look at entertainment versus hospitality, and then gospitality, which is my word. I don't think I, I think I just invented that. Changed the slide deck this morning as I thought of it. Is, aren't I? Aren't I creative? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. All right. The text. Let's get into it here. Romans. We're in chapter twelve. Paul has written the longest letter that we have. Uh, from him or from anyone else in the Bible. And at the end of this letter, we're in chapter, in chapter 12, it goes to 16, uh, he's saying, here's how you work it out in your life. So it's pretty practical stuff. We're going to get very practical here uh, this morning. Love must be sincere. Uh, the word love there is the word agape, which is the, the grand uh, crown of all love words. Everything flows from it. And it must be sincere. And what we would say from that, love is not a feeling and it is not talk, although it includes both of those, but fundamentally it's about action. Love is an event in your life, is how we would say that. Uh, Show me if you love me. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's the word we talked about last week, which we get Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love, and we would include sisters in there as well. Aren't you glad, right? So uh, that's the word uh, Philadelphia. 
love of brothers, and then honor one another above yourself. So there's verses 9 and 10. The next two uh, verses, 11 and 12, are how that happens. And these kind of go inward. So listen to, there has to be things in your heart. If your love is going to be sincere, it has to come out of a heart that is sincerely loving. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Your spiritual fervor. Only God can, you have to nourish that, but God is the one who pours himself into us. Serving the Lord, uh, and then be joyful and in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. So those are, those are the inward things out of which the uh, acts of love will come. And then he goes back to this practical uh, thing in verse uh, 13. Share with God's people who are in need. And then our word, practice hospitality. Hospitality means love or kindness shown to the stranger, implying that you would invite them into your life context. So that, that's how we define hospitality. Uh, and then he goes in verse uh, 14 and through 16. I won't read the whole thing, but it starts out, bless those who, are, who persecute you. Sounds like Jesus. Jesus says the same thing. Bless and do not curse. So, uh, and it tends to go more outward. So we're not just talking about practicing hospitality here, but in the world at large, in our hearts. So here, here you go. If, if you know this line, it's all in here. We love God, what? Passionately. We love people deeply. And we bless the world radically. It's all right here. All three of those. And uh, it begins with the love of God. It works out to love around here. And then it works, it overflows out into the world that God wants to reach. Okay, so um, a little history really quick. How did this happen in the early church? And I'm, gonna, I'm going to um, do some quotes here from a guy named Rodney Stark. He used to be at the University of Washington. He's a social historian. Uh, he's, he's written a book that sort of became defining of what a social historian uh, is and does in, in regard to early Roman culture. And here's something he says. Most new religious movements fail because they quickly become closed networks. That is, they fail to keep forming and sustaining attachments to outsiders and thereby lose the capacity to grow. Uh, sounds a little bit like first century Seattle freeze, does it not? Okay. And then uh, for a group to grow as fast as Christians did. Now, here's, here's the statistic that he uses, and it's been debated. We don't know for sure. The statistics in the first century were hard to come by. But from the year 40 AD, so roughly 10 years after Jesus was crucified, and this early Christian movement got some traction, until the year 300, it, this movement that you're a part of today grew at a rate of 40% per decade. That's, a, yeah, that's exponential growth. Okay, how did that happen? That's, that's the, the question, but we'll get to that in a sec. But it must maintain close ties to its non-members, blessing the world radically. It must remain an open network. Closed networks don't grow, folks. And here's the third quote. Archaeological evidence shows that from the very early days, house churches were clearly identifiable, and the neighbors would have been entirely aware that these were Christian gathering places. So there were no church buildings in those years that we, what we know of. There were houses where Christians met. And uh, what those, how, did, how did this amazing growth happen? And, uh, well, you can say God did it, but what, what historians will say is, and there's different ways of talking about it. I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. It's complicated. But they were, these people were morally pure. These early Christians, it would not have grown, this is the consensus, if, it weren't, if they weren't morally pure. 
They believed that the Old Testament scriptures were part of that purity, and they had to sort out what that meant for a people of grace to apply that to their lives. But they had moral purity, and then they also, it, with that on kind of like one pole, they had this sort of amazing hospitality. They would reach out to anybody, everybody. There's nobody excluded, and they were the ones that went to the people who had the plagues that were, or the, uh, you know, the people who were in the really bad places in the Roman Empire. And that is how they grew. We know that from, from history. And we have some really uh, wonderful source documents, which if anybody cares, I can put you onto. So um, they love the stranger with a sincere love. I want to get really, this is where I'm going to just be pretty practical. And here's the title of my book. Biblical Hospitality, A Messy Home, Average Food, and Uncomfortable Conversation. Are you going to buy it? This is, yeah, it doesn't sound like it's quite right, does it? Let me make my case here. Um, let's just say that you're feeling it, that maybe you have, in your life context, not been as hospitable as you would want to be, and you kind of sense that maybe God is, is uh, turning things up inside of you. And let's just say today, today, uh, you end up in a conversation, you know, over coffee or wherever, and you meet a new person, and you've made that effort, and they, maybe they've met you halfway or whatever. The, the Seattle freeze is kind of thawing a little bit. And, and then they, the conversation kind of hints at something that's going on inside of them, something deeper, something they really need to talk about. And, um, you know, you, don't, you just you don't know, but, but then there's this little voice inside of you that says, why don't you just ask them over for lunch and then there's this um, well-trained voice of reason that says, but my house is what? It's a mess. Let me tell you a dirty little secret. Everybody's house here is a mess. <laughs> is there anybody here that doesn't have a mess someplace in their house right now? I was, like, I was hoping that at least one hand would go up because I, I would say, well, what are you having for lunch today? But um, <laughs> um, I'll come over. Uh, but it, it is, it's, it's just so good to remember that, that having a, you know, people see. Now, I know um, some of you of a particular gender think that's more true of the other gender, but I won't go, into the, go there. But people are messy or certain ages are messy, right? But we're just messy, and we have messy lives, all in all. You know, things get out of a little chaos. Um, if you stand back and look at the situation I described, I just want to show you what a tragedy looks like. You know, a tragedy is something that d- doesn't have to happen. It's not predetermined, but it happens, and it's really sad for the reasons why it happens. So here's the tragedy. You have a human being made in God's image with, a, with brokenness going on inside of them. Anybody qualify on that count besides me. Yeah. And, you know, there's particular, the ebbs and flows of brokenness, they come and go, okay? But they do come and go for all of us. So you have that going on, and, and they, that person has risked a little bit with you. And you aren't going to invite them into your home because it's a little messy? Do you not see that tragedy there? Do you not see that that thwarts God's 
<laughs> purposes in this world, that the gospel is meant to bring truth and grace to situations like that. I'm not trying to make you, you feel good. I'll, I'll, let's blame it on somebody else, okay? That's what I, okay, here you go. There she is. <laughs> She's the problem right there. Entertainment, entertainment, which, look at the title of the magazine there. Entertainment impresses, hospitality blesses. Now you could also say entertainment stresses if you want. And that when I see that picture, that's, that's what I feel. But the last place I would want to be, if I had a mess, a major mess going on in my life, where I felt, you know, just really lonely or Something, you know, just doesn't feel right medically or, or financially or in my marriage or whatever. That's the last place I think I'd want to be, right there. It's almost, it's almost counterintuitive that we, to, in order to feel at home, if you're a mess, you've got to have a mess to feel at home. And it's, it's okay. Is it okay to not be okay? That picture says it's not okay. I mean, you've got you to gotta go for the... Uh, whatever. And, uh, and I want to just say this too. You know, at Starbucks uh, or wherever, I, it, it, places like that, those third places in our culture that are really popular to sit down and talk to somebody, that's, that's fine. But I still think we have to ask the question, why not in our homes? What is, is this connected to the Seattle freeze in some way? I mean, what is it that what people used to do this all the time and now we don't do it anymore? What, what is that? Who's, who's saying that that's the way it has to be? Well, uh, there's my first chapter of my book. I'm all for messy homes, okay. And um, I have to be careful what I say here. My wife is here, so uh, I just realized that. Okay, I'm all for messy homes. Okay, just moving on. Average food, let's get that up there. Average food. I'm going to go quickly here, but uh, if it, and I, I got to confess. So this is the second reason why you might say uh, that 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 well-trained part of you that would say I, I can't have this person over today. I don't have. Any, I haven't prepared anything, and and I, I, I confess that my mom was a food snob, and she trained me to be a food snob. So there's my confession. But here's the deal, folks. If I were in that place, and I've been in that place of just really feeling low, do you think I care if a peanut butter and jelly sandwich gets served? Does that not just taste like love? PBJ? Isn't that more important? This is not the gospel of Martha Stewart. This is just God's gospel. That that's more important, or a hot dog, even. <laughs> We're going lower now. <laughs> but what, what you taste in your mouth is the love of a person with you. And it's just, it just gets translated that way. And you don't go, you, on the way home, so an entertainment-type person, their, their goal is to get you speaking these words on the way home. Wasn't that just the best Creme boulet. It's the first French word I could think of. <laughs> but 
and, 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 and you really think if somebody felt the love of God through some whatever kind of food it is that they wouldn't just say thank you, Lord, for the touch from you today that came through that food, whatever it was, average food. All right, what's the third one? Uncomfortable talk or conversation. So an entertainment type person would be stressed out about a couple things. Uh, One would be that the wrong thing would get said, right? You know, something really personal, something really political, something religious that sets other, you know, the guests get uncomfortable and, and things get a little cringy and who likes to cringe? That's not entertaining, right? And then the other thing that could happen with talk is that people get silent. There's those awkward moments of silence. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. Um, let's just pray. Lord, whatever the need is out there right now, it's in your hands, and we pray for your blessings and your covering over it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have these, these awkward things, and, and if you're an entertainment-wired person, you try to avoid those at, at almost any cost. And you can just feel the, the stress. And if you want to think about Martha in the Bible story, not Martha Stewart, but Martha in the Bible story. Boy, Martha gets it from all sides. But, um, you know, she's stressed. And Jesus says, you know, settle down, calm down. Look at your sister here. Be with me. So a hospitable person would know a couple things too. They would know that the best thing you can do to be hospitable, to really be hospitable, to really look into that heart and care for that heart is to ask good questions. To listen is the second part. And they go together. To ask good questions and to listen well. Not to the words, but to the heart. And you might ask, well, what are the fears behind what you're saying right now? Do you know that God loves you right now? And just, the, the words are few. Uh, I always think in, in conversations that, you know, the, the, like this, the, the word meter, do you know what I'm talking about, what a word meter? They don't, they don't sell these, but someday in the future as technology develops, they will have these word meters, and you'll have one, and in conversations you start it, and it'll tally how many words you say versus how many words the other person says. And some of you are going to have a rude awakening, <laughs> let me tell you. In these moments, you want to be the person who has the low word count as the host. And you're okay with silence. You're, you're waiting for that heart to, you know, you're, you're doing what you can to let that heart speak and listening to what comes out. So there you go. So to summarize uh, those three things, this is the key to hospitality is a messy home, average food, and uncomfortable talk. Okay. But here's the real key, and it comes right out of the passage, is that you honor other people over yourself. Entertainment is me-centered. Hospitality is other-centered. That's what the text is saying. Okay, part three, hospitality. Are you ready for my word here that uh, will probably become famous at some point in time, but not quite yet. You guys are part of the, um, the marketing team on this, but hospitality. It, it begins... Uh, in verse 16, live in harmony with one another, but then it says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 
But I, where I want to illustrate, go to illustrate this is in the end, uh, at the end of Romans, there's chapter 16. It's an amazing chapter. If you've ever read it, you've probably skimmed over it because it's full of names, people's names. There's uh, 30, 35 names in there. I haven't I didn't do a careful count, but lots and lots of names. And it's kind of funny because Paul has never been to Rome, but he knows all these people. He's relationally wired and seems to know uh, all these people. Uh, Let me read just the first few verses and we'll, we'll go to one other place. But he begins by saying in verse one of chapter 16, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Phoebe is probably the one who's carrying the letter that he's written. So he's commending her to them as she comes with this letter. She's a servant or a deaconess, women in ministry in the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. Okay, so there's Phoebe. And then... He begins uh, with his greetings. And the first couple he greets, and it's, uh, her name is listed first, which is unusual unless there's a particular reason for doing that, meaning that she is more prominent in her ministry. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in, Jesus, or in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So here we have evidence of a house church, which I was referring to earlier. Uh, And there's other places in the the New Testament that that would indicate that as well. So then he he does that, and there's this long list of people, uh, maybe 20, 25 more people there. And then we turn the page over, and this is the group now that he is uh, sending the greetings from. So it's not just him, but there's other people with him in Corinth. He's in Corinth. If you look on a map, it's a ways. I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know, 500 miles maybe or something, but it, it, it takes a while to get there. And he is, I've um, got this group with him, and Luke is in that group, and Timothy, Timothy names that we might remember uh, from other places in the New Testament. But the, where I want to focus on is in verse 22, and it, it reads this, I, Tertius, so this is, this is somebody else, not Paul, who's writing, and you'll see why here in just a sec. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So Paul is dictating it to this man named Tertius. Now, Tertius is a really interesting name, and I'll tell you why. So uh, it's a number. What number would it be? Three. So especially slaves, but not just slaves in the Roman era. We believe Tertius was a slave. And Oh, by the way, back to the, the first list that I mentioned. Men, women, slave names, uh, people from all over, people from Africa. It's a mix, Okay. Hilo. So here you have a slave who is writing this letter and gets his name engraved forever in God's Bible. Isn't that cool? So you have Primo, we don't know what happened to Primo. Secundo, we don't know what happened to him. And Tertius, the Tertius, the third one, the third son is probably what it means, gets his name in the Bible. You see, the reason that they they named their kids these numbers or the owner of the slave named them these numbers was because they weren't, slaves weren't really considered fully persons, you know, in that world. So you get a number. It's very dehumanizing. But the gospel, gospitality humanizes. It brings him 
into the family of God. Tertius. And then you have the next name is Gaius, who is uh, a wealthy person. That, that's whose house Paul uh, stayed at in, in Corinth. And uh, he sends greetings. And then Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. So these are two important people. And then our brother Cortus also sends you greetings. So what is Cortus? In number four, probably Tertius' younger brother, right? And there, I don't know what, what, if there's Quintus or whatever. But the point is that these names, you have this slave, you have these two prominent names, and you have another slave there. Do you see what hospitality does? Do not be conceited. Do not be proud. Invite anybody into your world. Invite the stranger in. This is God's hospitality. And here's the deal to hardwire this into the gospel. God came into this world from a long, long ways away to invite us into his home. And he came just as far for Gaius and Erastus as he did for Tertius and Cortus. I mean, he's, so we can't, nobody's proud. In this gospel community that was growing at 40% every decade, nobody, there's no room for conceit. The same grace comes to all. This is hospitality. It's God's hospitality to us. Let us pray. Lord, um, you are gracious. You are hospitable. You are warm to us. So, Lord, we pray to th- that you would thaw our hearts. As we think of somebody, Lord, some category of person that we might not be so warm to, that wear some label that we're not fond of, warm our hearts. Open our hearts. Open our doors. Open our lives that we might bring your good news to all people. In Jesus' name, amen.